as a slightly insecure 19-year-old me, I really liked the validation. Views went from the hundreds to the thousands to the hundreds of thousands and then eventually to the millions. I was shook. You can be climbing up a ladder fast, but if you're going up the wrong wall, then it's not the right direction. Your gift isn't guaranteed. It can go away at any moment. You never know when life might you know, take what you love doing most. And thinking about that makes me so sad, but also inspired to go forth and create as much as I can with the limited time that I have. The most helpful thing that I have found to help me rebuild my relationship with music and just creativity in general is just... Hi, my name is Amir. I create YouTube videos. I make music. I teach as well. And it's kind of, uh, I find myself at the intersection of those three things. And I'm classmates with these beautiful, beautiful people here on Linden Mall at Berkeley College of Music. We're going straight into it. Sure. Amir, what does creativity mean to you? Ooh. And who are you as an artist? That is a good question. We're just getting right into it. Okay. Creativity. Creativity, to me, is a process of exploration, going into the unknown, and seeing what you find along the way. And to me, I see myself as an artist, I see myself as a creator, I see myself as a teacher, but ultimately I see myself as just someone who's going straight into the unknown, picking things up, learning things, and sharing them, and sharing what I find along the way. That's me. That's beautiful. I absolutely love that. Exploring the unknown is absolutely what creativity is right without the unknown there would be no creativity mm -hmm. totally it's all uncertainty and it's all unknown and i think that's the part that i love about it the most is that you never know exactly how something's going to turn out when you're just starting a project why do you do it why do you create and what is your purpose <laughs> totally well wow that is that is a fantastic question i think it it all is part of like my overarching mission, which is to live a joyful, meaningful, and present life, inspiring and empowering others to be their best selves. And creativity is just something that is, first of all, it's just so fun. You know, it, it is, it is the lifeblood of everything that I do, and I derive just so much enjoyment by bringing creativity into all of those different things. To me, creativity. Uh, w why? Why do I do what I do? It's just fun. I don't think there needs to be too much of a justification for enjoying oneself. I think before I used to really put a lot of pressure on myself to define exactly the purpose behind what am I doing? You know, exactly why am I creating this? Why am I having fun in this moment? But I've kind of realized that I don't need to justify that to myself anymore. I can just have fun and enjoy it. You know, life is short and I'm going to do something that's enjoyable at least, something that's enjoyable helps others not hurt people along the way you know that's the goal have you always felt that way because like let's mm -hmm. for our audience to understand you better let's take a look and go back into in time mm -hmm. you being a mere of 11 years old 10 years old mm. did you feel that way about creativity did you feel that way about what were your dreams what did you what do you feel Ooh. <laughs> Let me see if I can remember. That's like middle school. That's like deep I mean, cut. like, that's not like 11 years old, like 10, like 9, deep, whatever. Cringe. Yeah, go, go back. Okay, let me go back to the cringy years, y'all, when I was chubby and I had Justin Bieber bangs. <laughs> we got to pull up a picture yeah, of that. Yeah, oh gosh, I am. Yeah, oh, I'm so sorry, y'all. Here you go. 
Um, proof that uh, time time helps us all. <laughs> Anyways, um, did I always feel that way? Yeah, I'd say so. Music has always been a part of my life. I grew up playing piano at the age of four, like every good little Asian boy. Um, <laughs> Y'all know, y'all know the vibes. I started playing piano at the age of four, picked up the guitar at 10 and was singing the entire time along the way. And there has never been a doubt in my mind that, that I wanted to do something creative with my life. Now, thankfully I had the privilege of doing so um, with parents that were as supportive and believed in me as much as mine did and really nurtured that creativity. Um, and so I'm just a byproduct of really good parenting and just good surroundings and good friends and just luck is what it is. It's beautiful. Not many people credit that kind of creativity towards their upbringing. Like there's this idea that creativity is born, like you're born with it or it's nurtured. But I, I really love how you just did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we're all a byproduct of our environments. And I'm just glad that I was able, that I was lucky enough to be born in an environment where I was allowed to be creative, where I was allowed to do those things. Um, and I'm just going to take that and run with it as, as far as I can. Speaking of, you create in so many different mediums, so many avenues. I mean, you have music, you have your videos, short form content, all of these different ways to communicate your message. If it, you could only choose one of them, to convey this message of inspiring and empowering others for the rest of your life, what would that be? Videos. Why? Wow. Videos. Um, well, the proof is in the pudding right here. I, I feel like with this medium, you can transmit a message very directly. Right? You can transmit a message very directly that spans. You can transmit a message very directly, and with the power of the internet, you have infinite leverage, and you can distribute that and broadcast that to so many people. Um, it is a fantastic vehicle for just spreading and for spreading a message, which has its pros and its cons because they're, you know, it's great at spreading messages, but what kind of messages are we spreading? You know? Um, yeah, I, w I would choose that partially too, because that, that, that's more, that's probably just informed by what I'm most passionate about right now, what I'm literally working on, like before coming here, like the night before I was like staying up till 3 a.m. editing a video and I will continue to do that tonight because I need to finish up another video. Um, but yeah, that's what I would choose. And the reason I probably might not do something music related, I mean, okay, it's not like I hate making music, y'all. Like I, I still, I still make music, like that's fun. Um, but... I find that music is a lot more abstract, which is great in many regards in the sense that it can span cultural walls. It can like span so many differences of language, of culture, everything, um, which is helpful in certain contexts. But I find with video, at least for the message that I share and with the medium that I feel like I communicate my be myself best, I would have to stick with that. Fascinating. How do you feel about the possibility of having your messages misinterpreted? Well, I <laughs> well, well, I hope no one clips this podcast. And <laughs> I mean, hey, hey, go for it if you want. Um, just don't. That was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke. Please don't. Um, well, that's a great question. 
I don't know how to control that. That's like a such a new problem that I don't know how to face. Don't know how to deal with. Like misinterpretation is. I don't know how to deal with that. All I think that I can do is just let my actions speak loud, speak for themselves, show up as a person of integrity to the best of my ability. Once again, just be a good person, not hurt people along the way, and just be kind. And I hope that that is enough to speak for itself. As for the rest, I don't know. You know, I don't know. It's a challenging circumstance. Like for you guys, how do you, f like as people who also produce podcasts and put clips out onto the internet, how do you guys navigate that? And what has your experience been like with this since you guys are just starting to get into you know the podcast realm and starting to post clips what has that experience been like for each of you oh shit <laughs> okay um i didn't expect to answer questions here it's, it's, <laughs> it's our podcast we, we this is we a conversation you, right? <laughs> this is a conversation <laughs> here with you i'll go ahead i'm thinking <laughs> i'm also thinking i'm not gonna lie i don't think we have enough of like a sample size to really determine, okay, like how do we need to you know, edit this video in order to make it resonate with the right people mm. and have it, like make it distinct and clear in its meshes enough that it won't be taken out of context. But the thing is that like context always matters like who we are, our background, why we do this, all of the, if you remove that context, like, yeah, I, I think that in the future, there's definitely the possibility of just taking, someone taking a, a clip, rolling it out, and having our message be misinterpreted, right? And so that's that's also a new challenge with short form content, which hasn't really been you know, a thing until like a few years ago. And so this is definitely a, a strange challenge to navigate. And yeah, I don't know what we're going to do about it, honestly. For me, there's different sides to it. Like, um, I agree with you with the short form content. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to predict what people are going to use your content for and how they're going to um, make you look on the internet. But with AI stuff, like, mm -hmm. why would you even care? Because you have so many deep fakes and mm -hmm. why would you care about misinterpretation of your ideas uh, or you as a, as a human being or something like mm -hmm. hate is going to hate hate is going to always <laughs> find ways to misinterpret your information and um i try not to think about that a lot i like again we just started the podcast thing right. and we'll see how it goes mm -hmm. and even if people will um get our information in a different way it's still good it's still promotion like it's dark promotion right <laughs> like if I say something bad, it will go viral. It will be popular. <laughs> Not for the best reasons, but still. So, don't clip that, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> clip don't that clip right that. now. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> that reminds me of a really beautiful quote that I heard, I think maybe from Diary of a CEO. Mm -hmm. But it's about control, right? There's a... We, we have this idea that we can control the things that happen to us and, like, predict, oh, like, we're going to do this thing and that's going to result in this result but that's really just an illusion right the the things that happen the way that we think about them like the, the way that we predict they're gonna happen that's just a coincidence and that's just pattern recognition but ultimately the chance of that pattern being upset is ba like based on entropy that's going to happen and so i think practically at this stage just keep going there's 
not really much you can do to control it. So just be mindful, but that's about it. Word. Yeah, definitely. Being mindful is important. Yeah. I love that. <clears throat> Moving on. Ooh, I like this one. In your video about creative burnout, <laughs> which I damn y'all did your research. We did of course. yesterday for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> In your video about creative burnout, you talk about how creative burnout has negatively impacted your desire to make music in the past. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's why you've directed much of your creative attention to YouTube and making videos. Mm-hmm. What would your Facebook relationship status with music be? <laughs> <laughs> and are you I happy? You, I told you controversial questions. Yeah, yeah, I told exactly. you right, right away. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm dead, y'all. Okay. Okay, so for context, um, <laughs> viewers, uh, y'all, y'all don't have context. Um, so I've been making music for, you know, for basically like my entire life. And in 2020, went through a little bit of an identity shift. I wouldn't call it an identity crisis, but more so an identity shift in the sense that I found myself not gravitating towards music as strongly as I used to before. And I think that was a result of, well, 2020 just being, am I allowed to swear on the podcast or no? Yeah, you are. Okay, I'm, I'm okay. Whatever. Sure. 2020 <laughs> just being like genuine shit. Gen- <laughs> 2020, we're going to edit that. Okay. No. It just, uh, okay, cool, perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, um, anyways, what I was saying, and I think that's part and parcel because 2020 was just general shit, um, but also because I was just changing as a person. I was posting on TikTok a lot, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, and I just found myself viewing music less as an outlet for an expression. And more so just as a job. And I think once you can start getting into that territory, then it's very, very easy for burnout to pop up. And so to answer your question, what would my relationship <laughs> status be? I would still say married. Like yeah. right now, I, I'm like married to music. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, I would still say I'm married to music. How do you feel about that? Um, I would say... Every marriage has its ups and downs, and it's a matter of commitment to navigate it and make it through. And so when it comes to my relationship with music, if I'm using this metaphor of, you know, Facebook being Facebook <laughs> status, you know, Facebook relationship status, I would say um, I'm part of, I am one half of a very standard marriage with music. You know, I am um, choosing every day to love it i'm choosing every day to show up and do it because once again love is a verb love requires action and so i'm choosing to show up every day and just create and just enjoy myself in the process i'm learning to think less about it as i mentioned before not having to justify so much you know it's like hey i enjoy this you know life life is short i get to create music bring people you know bring people together have a good time connect with other human beings once again just being kind and not hurting people along the way is the you know, to the best of my ability. Uh, I just hope to continue doing that with music, no matter what my relationship status might be. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. You've talked about, you've touched on this transition from music being you know, something that you created for fun as a 11-year-old Amir, mm-hmm. and then how that slowly progressed into it becoming a job and then tr- trying to rekindle that relationship mm-hmm. Where do you see that going in the future? 
are you going to like go to relationship counseling? <laughs> <laughs> like, where um, do you stand on that? Uh-huh. Oh, that's a funny question. Relationship <laughs> counseling. I have talked to my therapist about my relationship with music, so uh, if that counts, then you know that that's something. That. Music will always be a part of my life. At least I would like to think so. I think it's just so deeply ingrained in everything that I do. I even approach making videos like I make music. Um, the way that I approach cooking, the way that I approach just in general life, I, I, I view things pretty musically. And so I always see it being there. I think it's just communication to me. I think over time... Okay, well, to be completely honest, I do wish my... I do wish that I could be that younger Amir that was fully, fully into music because there was a certain energy to that. There was a certain like recklessness, a cer- certain naivete, and a certain abandon with which I threw myself into the craft. And I'm so glad that I had those years that I got to do it. I still love music. Um, but I also do wish I still had that childlike playfulness. And I think that's the big thing that I need to remind myself and I'm even remembering as I'm saying it to y'all. There's a reason it's called playing music. And I think once we start losing sight of the play aspect and then it starts becoming work and then it starts becoming something that you're paid for and then it becomes something that you go to school for, that you get graded on, that you get evaluated on, it's very difficult to retain that playful mindset. But I think the 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 most helpful thing that I have found to help me rebuild my relationship with music and just creativity in general is just approaching it like play. Remembering that, you know, we get to play an instrument. You know, it's not work an instrument. It's play, you know? I really resonate with that. And I guess many of the viewers will as well because most of our viewers are Berkeley students, right? And for me... um before coming to Berkeley, I approached music the same way as I get. I get to play instrument. That's cool, and and I don't, I don't try to compare myself to other people. And uh, I was just enjoying and having fun. And after coming to Berkeley, and my first semester, it was kind of the same. But then it was just went down because you get graded on that. You get, um, you start to compare yourself to other musicians around Berkeley environment, um, and you get paid for some of the stuff you do and now that you have more pressure and deadlines and like more and more and more things that kind of limit your creativity and limit your uh, artistry in a way and for me it was super complicated to understand how to work through that like just as you were saying um understanding that it's it's just a it's it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a play so you gotta just play and enjoy it mm-hmm. like it's it's great to understand it it's easy to understand in theory but for me like subconsciously i was like i don't kind of i kind of don't want to do it anymore it's like why would i even want to do it if if there are so many challenges in this like it was so fun and easy before berkeley why would it be why would i want to do it now right so um and then what helped me a lot was now that music became at berkeley my kind of work thing um i tried to find something else to um, engage with any any hobbies because hobbies before before birthday music was my hobby and now it's my work mm-hmm. and so I'm trying to find something else to to call a hobby to name a hobby and I got into video got into like different aspects of sport and like um, tried some painting and stuff and 
after some time, I realized that if I, I took a break from music for like a month and tried myself in different um, arts and different hobbies. And after a month, I kind of recharged and came back to music as, as fresh as they can go and they can be. And then, and I found myself very peaceful and still loving music. Yeah. That's a very practical strategy. Like, I was just thinking in the back of my head, like, is that sort of relationship? Because I resonate with what both of you said as well. Like, growing up classically trained, that... Yeah, let's yeah. go classical piano. <laughs> you get it. Like, there's... Your relationship is, like, not great mm -hmm. from the start. <laughs> and over time, as you're trying to, like, you know, change things, it just doesn't want to change. And eventually, mm -hmm. you're in the place that I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking, like, is that even salvageable? Like, does there come a certain point where your creativity within a certain creative act has been mangled so much that you have to find a different kind of outlet to express that creativity? What do you well, think? Well, my question is, how does one salvage a relationship? Talk to it. Yeah, how, like, if one is in a relationship that needs salvaging if there's you know friendship issues partner issues like those kinds of things how how would you say a re relationship is saved yeah talk about it is the main thing definitely yeah, yeah communicate right what do you think i think learning to be learning to uh, one thing i've read a lot in just you know this is a little bit of a tangent but it's related if we're talking about like relationships with creativity Rediscovering friendship mm -hmm. is really, really important for relationships, at least with, you know, me and my partner or, you know, other relationships that I've seen. There's a strong foundation of friendship, which I can extrapolate to creativity as a strong foundation of playfulness. You know, there's a playfulness, there's an enjoyment. You guys like being around each other. It's fun. It's easy. You're not thinking too much about it. And so I think that is one step that could be helpful, you know, for, for, uh, people to take to perhaps salvage that relationship with creativity um simply learning to play again and giving oneself the permission to play i talk about myself like giving myself the permission to have fun it's weird because i i'm the type of person who takes things very seriously which you can probably tell by the way that i talk because i'm such a serious person <laughs> um but I, i'm the type of guy who takes things very seriously you know like i want to do well i want to you know be as excellent as i possibly can in my creative pursuits but i need to constantly remind myself not to let that eclipse the joy of it because we create for joy first and foremost you know we we create for joy we create for you know the enjoyment of the process to be able to share that with others you know the creative process is inherently just a joyful process or at least in my mind i think it should be a joyful process and it takes constant effort to remind myself okay don't think about it too much. Allow yourself to have fun, Amir. It's weird, <laughs> you know, but like allow yourself to have fun kind of thing. Um, yeah. Try not to be too stuck up about the entire music thing. This is what it is. <laughs> it's a very simple concept, but I know for myself, like I've struggled to actually change my mindset about that. Mm -hmm. How have you done that? Music is a meditation. That's my perspective. It's a mindfulness practice. Is this too? Us being right here, I think it's just learning to be present again and not thinking too much about it. Once you can remove the veil of thoughts, then you see it for what it is. It's organized sound. And somehow our body reacts to it in a visceral way. A visceral way. What a beautiful thing. You know? 
Um, that's at least how I, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm still working on, working on that. But when I try to sit down and create music, I try to approach it with mindfulness and try to treat it like a meditation and just fully be in the joy of it to be fully present and enjoy the process. So yeah, that's what I'm working on. What inspires you? Life, specifically relationships, specifically conversations like this, specifically getting to know other people, hear their stories, talk to them and connect. Connection is what inspires me. The connection of going into a concert as an audience member and connecting with, you know, people there who also listen to the same kind of music and like the same artists, being able to share that bond with them, being able to, on the inverse, step out onto a stage and share a connection with your fellow bandmates. You know, you've worked for this, you've rehearsed this, or if you play jazz, you haven't rehearsed it uh, and you're just, you know, going into it with a shared, you know, understanding the shared vocabulary um, and also being able to connect with the audience as a video creator, being, oh gosh, the one of the things that inspires me the most is knowing that my videos are able to make an impact on people's lives. I, I was talking about this with one of my friends earlier today, but you know, the comments that I get, you know, I, I receive comments sometimes um, when people see my videos. So for context for the viewers, back in 2021, I made a video titled Meeting My Girlfriend for the First Time, where basically I had met my partner in the middle of COVID and we met online and weren't able to visit visit each other for like eight, nine months. And I made a video documenting that entire process of meeting for the first time. And you know, the video is doing pretty well. It's my most viewed video to date. And I get a lot of DMs regularly from people telling me, oh my gosh, I'm about to meet my boyfriend for the first time tomorrow. And your video inspired me and in letting me know that I'm not alone in doubting and like thinking about the craziness of this all. And it's just that kind of, impact and connection that inspires me so to sum it all up i think connection is my inspiration i saw the video it's so beautiful <laughs> i resonated with it as well because uh i was i was telling you again like mm -hmm. um i kind of met my girlfriend during the covet as well mm -hmm. and we didn't see each other for like two years or something and mm -hmm. then we're finally back together and everything is beautiful Woo -woo! Yeah, <laughs> let's go on. And um, yeah, I remembered my story through your video. Mm. And um, first of all, everyone, go check the video out. It's mm. beautiful. And I almost, it almost made me cry because I remembered my kind of uh, experience with this. But thank you for all your videos, man. It means <laughs> a lot. It really does. Yeah. See, that inspires me right there. Inspiration boost for you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Plus five. <laughs> what about the contrast? Like, what about the opposite of that? I, I know, like, within, you know, the online space, there's, yeah, of course, there are positive messages, right? But there are also negative ones. Mm. What is your relationship with that? Like, do, do you, you know, when you're browsing through a comment section and you see someone say something that, you know, doesn't resonate with positivity mm -hmm. or just with you, if you will? How do you feel? What is your initial reaction? I don't check my comments. <laughs> For that exact reason, I don't read the comments. <laughs> I, I don't. I know a lot of creators who also don't do the same thing just because I, I think as much... Okay, to clarify what I said earlier, 
as much as you know compliments and people saying that a video is nice is inspiring i also need to remind it's also important to not get caught up into that and make that like a part of your identity because in in my mind uh this is so this is not original thinking but i watched this ted talk with by elizabeth gilbert she's the author of e pray love and big magic she has this analogy of this center and the center right here is the creative process the creative act you know writing for her or creating videos or music for me success or failure either success or failure all that it does failure flings you far out from center and then you need to do the work to get back to the center of creating and conversely what i feel like we don't talk about enough is that success also equally flings you out of that center they're both equidistant from the center and it's there's a reason like success or compliments or positive uh affirmation um, or attention can be intoxicating or disorienting because it flings you far from center and so even if the video does well people compliment whatever i need to remind myself come back to center it's not for that purpose but it's for like the creative act but of course i'm human i like like when people say nice things about my videos it's nice but i need to also remind myself to not take it personally I think that's one thing that helps me if I were to think about something practical when it comes to like bad comments, because I've received my fair share. Um, um, I, I just, I'm just reminded of a book called the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And one of the agreements, I'm going to spoil it for y'all. Sorry. <laughs> one of the agreements is, you know, agreeing to not take things personally, agreeing to take things personally is essentially agreeing to, yeah, is essentially agreeing to interpret things in a way that would lend itself to pain essentially everyone's living in their own dream everyone's living in their own reality um other people's perception of you is not the perception of the real you but it's their internal view of who they think you are and so they're commenting on that just trying to remember that nothing is personal neither the compliments neither the praise nor the hate you know not nothing is personal in the center just remind myself to come back to center you know just create just show up and work the process yeah that's what it is there's that one mark manson quote that's mm -hmm. like uh you'll stop caring what other people think of you when you realize how seldom they do right? yeah exactly 100%. exactly the spotlight effect my question is mostly about how do you communicate with your audience then if you don't respond to comments yeah i know it's hard <laughs> it's, it's hard it's hard um i was literally thinking about like asking you to help me with moderation stuff with asking holland to help you out with moderation stuff um uh to do some like research as i get into this next phase phase of creating um i don't necessarily check comments but i do check dms um, please don't DM me anything weird just because I said that. Oh gosh, someone's probably gonna do that. Oh gosh, okay. I'm gonna do it. Oh shoot. Okay. Okay. Gosh. I swear to God, if I see any mm, pics, no. <laughs> I'm deleting Instagram. Okay. Okay. Anyways, I mean, if you send me something, you know, it's cool. Whatever. Um, if you send me something weird, I'll just block. Anyways. Um, yeah. I I, I check DMs. I make sure to post like you know question and answer things just so that people can like ask me questions and I get a kind of a good idea of what um, people are looking for or what people 
are specifically wondering when they watch my content i do read the comments like early when i just post a video for like the first hour just to see like general reception what people are thinking if there's any issues that arise i use that as like helpful market res well helpful um feedback in the first phases of putting something out there um i also am really grateful to have such a good circle of peers who give me great feedback and let me know exactly what they think or what they're looking for, what they think would be cool to be surrounded by such awesome creators is really a blessing. Um, and I think their feedback really helps inform me as well. Adding on to what you said earlier, mm -hmm. this has been in my mind for a bit. You achieved like speaking of creative centers, if you will, and swaying from that center, you achieved what most would describe as very fast initial success on TikTok. Mm. Hitting over six questions, six questions, six questions. We're going there. Let's go. Let's we go. Straight into it. And then for context, uh -huh. uh, if you want me to repeat the go numbers back to you, you go know, you, you hit a hundred k followers and almost four million likes in a matter of months, which is like genuinely very impressive. Before deciding to take a step back and prioritize yourself. Shoot, when you say it like that, I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I haven't thought about it like uh, that until, until you said it. I was like, what the? D was that like just from my video? Did I say that? No, I we you did the research. That, yeah. I haven't even done the research on that. When you say it like that, I'm like, damn, I yeah. did that. What the? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> just gave him the answer to right May. Now. I mean, yeah, that's well, it's genuinely <laughs> like that's rocket growth. Now, our questions are twofold. First. Looking back, right, retrospectively, what do you think were the main drivers of that success? Because, right, the reality is always more clear when we're looking back. Mm. Luck. The luck of the algorithm, but, 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 um, I think it's luck, but I was also very intentional. The growth was no surprise to me. In the sense that I, at this point in time, I was making, I don't know, like, I was posting every day, sometimes posting like four or five times a day, sometimes nine times a day. Like, it, it, you know, I think it was just having as many, um, as Gary Vaynerchuk says, at-bats as possible, mm -hmm. just having many as many opportunities as possible for luck to find you. And I think probably what it was, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a, an expert, I don't know what the algorithm did, but... I think I just created enough things to have luck work its thing. I remember I had this screenshot. Um, I'm going to see if I can find it. But basically, I posted about the follower growth. I'm just finding it here on my phone, if y'all are wondering. I posted about it, and I was kind of documenting how I grew. And basically, here, um, I'll send you the screenshot mm -hmm. so you can put it. But basically, what it says here. So the caption here says, after one and a half months and accidentally misspelling my username, and I'm showing a picture here of how I went from 2,019 followers to 40,000 followers in a month and a half. Mm -hmm. But the main thing that I wanted to highlight from this is that when I had 2,019 followers, I had 115 videos up. When I had 40,000 followers, I had 286 videos up. So if you do the math, Han, then you can edit yourself doing the math of 286 minus whatever the previous number I said was. That's, you know, that's a lot of videos. I think it was just showing up and having luck work its thing. Mm -hmm. I But again, I think I, I legitimately think I was just lucky. Like there are a lot more people who are better creators, I think, who, <laughs> who could have also, you know, equally done the same thing.
what made you start posting on TikTok? It was fun. It was just fun. You know, it's just vibes, man. Um, I didn't think about it too much. And to be honest, my first posts were all just kind of shit posts. <laughs> I don't know. I was just having fun. I was 18, 19 at the time. Um, yeah, it was just yeah. fun. And the entire time it was fun. The entire time it was fun. It was never like, uh, it never felt too much like work. And I, I enjoyed it to an extent. Hmm. In your video about it, uh, with the uh, the tiny URL on your TikTok, mm -hmm. <laughs> you talk about, you know, you, you sort of took a step back, mm -hmm. right? And you're you're still in that step back, if you will. Looking back, how did your overall experience with TikTok and with your periods of, like you said, obsessing over, like taking screenshots of the the follower counts yeah, rising? Yeah, I was gonna get to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But how did that experience affect you? And what did you take away from it? And how, as a whole, how did that affect your direction and your motivation to create? I would sum it up like this. You can be climbing up a ladder fast, but if you're going up the wrong wall, then it's not the right direction. You can still be moving fast, but going up the wrong wall. So, you know, follower count was increasing, numbers were going up. And I will admit, you know, as a, you know, as a slightly insecure, um, like, 19-year-old me, I really liked the validation of, you know, seeing numbers go up. Um, and I will fully admit that. I'm glad that's not the case anymore. Um, but at the time, I literally just screenshotted every single follower count that like would rise and be like oh my gosh 2,000 people followed me today wow and I'd like post it and be like look how cool I am it was so cringe y'all it was so cringe <laughs> anyway <laughs> so cringe um but sorry what was your question again I want to answer it specifically how did this experience affect you and what did you take away from it hmm. oh cool okay. cool cool mm -hmm. I think it goes back to what I said earlier, being like flung out far from center. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. um, the more you start to get caught up in the numbers, the more you start to get caught up in performance, being like, oh my gosh, what's the algorithm going to do today? Be like, oh my gosh, how can I follow the trends and all that kind of thing? That flings you further and further out from center. And basically I was making a lot of posts about music, but I literally was not making music. I was just not making any music. I was a content creator who happened to make content surrounding music but I wasn't like actually a musician on TikTok mm -hmm. and that's kind of where I started to question things I'm like oh is this actually what I want to be do I want to be making memes about being able to identify pitches do I want to make memes about me playing TikTok sounds do I does that do I really want that to be my identity online I think I can do better than that. I, well, okay, wait, let me clarify before someone takes that out of context. Um, I, I, I think that wasn't for me. I think I want to do something else other than that. And I was really gravitating towards doing more long-form content, things that are meaning, like meaningful to me, um, things where I feel like I can have a tangible impact on people and, you know, leave people with things to think about and go back to being an artist. I think that... I think that was the big thing for me. I found myself becoming 
more and more of a content creator, an influencer who happened to make art as opposed to an artist who happens to make content. And when I decided to take a step back and pivot towards doing other things, my main thing was just create art. You know, I, I see the videos that I make. I see it as just making art, not necessarily content. Um, I, I just see it as art is what it is. Art is anything done for its own sake, and I do it for its own sake, and I love every single part of the process. Okay, so <clears throat> besides not reading comments, right? Mm -hmm. How do you, you, you were saying about this um, creativity being in, in the middle and there is failure and success on mm -hmm. both sides. Besides reading, not reading comments, how do you keep yourself in this in the center? What are the ways that people can keep themselves in the center, this creative center? Mm, great question. I mean, I don't know what's going to work for other people, so I can only say what I do for myself and what I, um, what I, okay, <laughs> this is going to be a little funny to say I'm going to expose myself, but what I do whenever I'm creating like a, a video or anything like that, I affirm to myself, I say over and over, nobody watches my videos, nobody watches my videos, nobody mm. watches my videos. I say that as I'm editing, I'm like, no one watches my videos, no one's going to see this, zero people are going to view this. I'm like, do I still enjoy doing this even if zero people are going to see it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I would do this if no person, on, if I was the only person in the world, I would still do this. Because I just, you know, love documenting life and being able to, you know, share what I've learned along the way. And would I do this for free? 100%. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's how I do it for myself. It's kind of weird. I'm like, no one watches my videos. <laughs> um, I also use this Chrome extension by Matt Diavella called Goodbye Metrics. Mm -hmm. I use that to hide the metrics in my YouTube videos just because I, it, especially when you're just starting out, the analytics don't tell you anything. The analytics don't really tell you anything at all. Um, and so I just turn them off. That being said, though, of course, maybe every here and like now and every now and again, you need to check to make sure how your CTR is doing, your average view duration on the thumbnail, that kind of research is important. But as for, you know, what video does well, what video doesn't, regardless of if a video does well or doesn't do well, I will still try to learn from it to create the best art that I possibly can. And yeah that, that's what i do for myself no one watches my videos no one watches my videos <laughs> i really love that the the question about if i was only doing this for its own sake and mm -hmm. for myself mm -hmm. would i still do it mm -hmm. that's like a, a really practical and just like clicky way if yeah. you will but i, I want to add on to that there are times where you're not going to feel that it, there's still effort required like me like i don't i don't particularly enjoy it's not my preference to stay up till three finishing an edit it's not my preference to spend my entire day like sitting down with like a video or a music project tuning vocals and melodyne or comping you know mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff it's not my preference and there are parts of the process that aren't exactly magical and i hope you know it, it's not i hope you know of course viewers understand you know it's not this romanticized thing like there's still a lot of work that's required but I'd, I'd say considering positives versus the negatives, I'd say the positives outweigh the negatives, you know, just a, I think it's a net positive and I would do it for myself with that in mind. With that said, mm -hmm. it seems as though this way of creating content or this way of creating, if you will, right? Asking yourself, okay, is this something that I want to do just for its own sake? 
continuing with that, it seems like it's an extension of who you already are, right? Which is, that's something that I find a lot of people, including myself, have trouble with, right? We, we get sidetracked by, you know, whether, whether it be metrics or like a, a comment or anything like that. How do you know when you're, well, let me rephrase this. How do you balance making you know videos on social media which in and of itself right your view counts are right at the center even if you have like you know extensions there's always some sort of balance when it comes to okay i want to generally create some sort of growth right Mm -hmm. how do you balance that with staying true to yourself i think it comes down to identity not letting the metrics become a part of your identity and not letting it dictate who you are as an artist i think metrics are useful in the sense that they measure things but as mark manson says a metric ceases to be a good metric when it becomes the goal and hence why i try to not let those metrics become a part of who i am as a creator like it doesn't matter how many subscribers i have it doesn't matter how many people listen to my music i will still show up and create because i just love you know I, i love creating and i would do it for myself if i was still the only person um, I think it's an issue of identity and letting it, mm, letting it calcify into ego is what it is. Ego is the enemy, of course. Ryan Holiday, thank you. We love you. I try not to let those metrics become a part of my identity and instead just use them and see them as what they are. It's just market research. They're just measures to help me figure out, okay, how do I make something more clickable? You know, mm-hmm. that's that kind of thing. It has nothing to do with me. Speaking of, mm-hmm. with these, uh, speaking of, uh, I guess, staying true to that identity and not letting it be sidetracked by tech, if you mm-hmm. will, recent developments in AI, mm-hmm. such as ChatGPT, mm-hmm. Jukebox, mm-hmm. and others have sparked conversations all throughout the creative sphere. Right? Some creatives express fears that AI will take over the very act of creation, mm-hmm. while others are more optimistic about integrating AI as a tool to help them achieve their creative visions. Mm-hmm. Now, where do you stand upon this? And how has AI affected your vision mm-hmm. for your artistic totally, future? Totally, totally. I use AI as a tool. Like all of my videos ever since I first discovered ChatGPT, I'm such a huge uh, proponent and user of it as a tool. It is a tool to help create. I, I find, at least in the way that I use it, it's different for everyone, of course, and I can't speak for everyone, but I can speak for my process. It's actually helped me create more and create better. Um, and I think the fundamental thing, and this is, once again, hey, if I could be wrong, feel free to like disagree, and you know, I'm totally open to discussion, and that's how we all improve. That's how we all learn more from one another. I would say the different, I don't think we're anywhere close, just based off of my research and my understanding, which is limited, I don't think we're anywhere close to having a true general creative intelligence in the sense that right now it's pattern recognition, you know, data, it's trained on data sets, it, it creates from that, but it's not, It I, in my mind, AI doesn't have the vision and ultimately we're still the ones curating and we're still the quality control because we have the artistic vision for it. It's a tool. The tool doesn't have a vision yet. This is probably going to age really poorly in a hundred <laughs> years or something. <laughs> but based off of the technology right now, I don't see it um, disrupting my creative flow too much. I only see it helping as a tool. And even then, once we get to that point, if we do get to that point where you know AI can be truly creative, then I think it's, 
you know, at that point, what is like we're dealing with something else entirely, you know, at that point, if it can be creative on its own, then it's it's more than what we've created. It's like that's a whole different thing. That's a whole different can of worms, you know, talking about vision, though. Um, it's interesting how our mind works in res respective to how AI works, right? Mm -hmm. Our mind works also as algorithms. Mm -hmm. We use all those references and that serve as the main um, inspiration for us to create. Uh, if I create something, everything comes from some references. I cannot, it's really hard to create something entirely new, like out of the bat. The same way AI works as well. So it takes all those all the information, all the references that, that exist in the world and the internet, in the history of humankind, and mm -hmm. it gives you uh, the results that you're asking it. So like, it's it's also collecting references as the same as our mind works. Mm -hmm. So in this case, um, when it's discussing the creative intelligence, humans between the AI, I guess what I'm talking about is like kind of addressing your point that creative intelligence is not there yet. Mm -hmm. But if, if, if we discuss how our mind works versus how AI works, mm -hmm. it's kind of there or, or almost there. Mm -hmm. I, I see your point, but I would posit that AI doesn't have... So, so as artists, what we bring to the craft, what we bring to the inputs is a limited perspective. We are not unlimited. We filter things through our own personal experience mm. and we... And we locally reduce entropy by creating meaning out of the chaos that surrounds us. Whereas with artificial intelligence, it do, it has an unlimited perspective. It doesn't have a limited perspective or life experience that it can draw on. It has every experience. It's everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> um, and so in that regard, because of the limit, because of the unlimited nature of its perspective, I don't think it can properly well, I mean, I don't know yet. I don't know. I don't think we're at that point yet just because it doesn't um, curate. It doesn't have taste. Like when I asked ChatGPT, like what it thinks about something, it says I have no taste. Mm. I'm just a text-based AI language model is what it is. Um, once again, I could be completely wrong. Like, hey, ChatGPT, I love you, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I could be completely wrong. Um, but I still don't see us being there yet just because... Mm. Because because here's the thing. We don't even fully understand how the brain fully works right. yet. We still have a limited perspective. We haven't even perfectly like recreated an amoeba yet, yeah. let alone an entire human brain. And nature, like when you tug on one thing, you end up pulling the entire tapestry with you. Like, oh, okay, yes, just because we can mimic how neurons might theoretically function does not mean, like, we're not taking into account all the various other external stimuli that go into that, like our environments, our upbringing, experience, mm -hmm. all those different things. We don't even know how to properly recreate that or explain that just yet. Obviously, as tech, I think the, the way that AI will advance is by understanding ourselves better, um, and in doing so, maybe create something better, you know? That, that's what I see. Yeah, just to add... Um, I guess the problem will occur when we as human beings will insert as much information into AI as possible. Like mm -hmm. just, I know this, there is this personal assistant AI tool mm -hmm. that helps you with like just finding documents in your computer or something like that, right? And it can basically analyze everything that you send to, to into the chat. Like you can just write your daily prompts about mm -hmm. how you feel. 
it asks you questions like what 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 happened today and stuff, and you're just writing it down so that it understands you better. Mm-hmm. And I guess the problem occurs when it understands you the way closer to the way you understand yourself, kind mm-hmm. of, because it has so much information about you, mm-hmm. and it can both help you a lot with like creating ideas and all that stuff. But on the other hand, again, like you'll have your personal experience and it'll give you everything that you live through and all the the ideas for your you know for your creations based on your life and that's kind of a bit fucked up but still Mm -hmm. i don't know it's there's two sides of this argument all the time and i'm still kind of in the middle trying to understand both um but still using them of course i overuse every ai plugin out there yeah of course at the same time though adding on to what you just said at any given moment in time, we have a very narrow view of mind, view of mind, right? We're not experiencing all of our memories and all of our thoughts at the same time. It's like a, a very tiny slice of who we are, and that changes moment to moment. And so even if like this, this assistant had a complete understanding of who you are, it's still, I mean, it wouldn't be experiencing you at this point in time so that that varies and that's i mean to my understanding like not predictable right so i'm with you on this like agi we got a ways to go i think 100 amir how do you use chat gpt for your YouTube creation. <laughs> well, I type in uh, hello, ChatGPT. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I use it to help me with scripting. I use it to help me with my writing. It's mainly the scripting process that I use ChatGPT for. I use it to help me think of frameworks for my stories. Um, I use it to help me. I, I use the Hero's Journey framework. Like when it comes to scripting my videos, they are very, very, very intentionally thought out in terms of story structure and format. I'm a, kind of obsessed with story structure and format. Like I can, I love. I love that stuff like six act structure or save the cat or eight act structure or three act structure um, or hero's journey or all, all that stuff I'm obsessed with. Um, and so I use uh, ChatGPT to help me work through those frameworks, you know, be like, okay, using the hero's journey, how can I craft a story out of this, what I have, this script that I have right here, or these, this set of footage, um, you know, and I, I never like, well, I don't copy paste a hundred percent. You know, I will still edit it to be in my voice just because it literally in the literal sense of the word sounds robotic. <laughs> so yeah. um yeah. I don't just copy paste. I will still curate and, you know, put my own uh, mannerisms and my own way of speaking on top of it. Um but the I feel like the the ideas are I already have the ideas. It's just that ChatGPT is helping to elucidate those ideas for me and bring them forward. And when I see it, it's kind of an inner understanding of, ah, yes, that's what I was thinking inside, but mm. I couldn't put it into words. Kind that's of a great point. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's just how I use it. Having the fundamental idea before going to ChatGPT. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And even when it does bring something up, I'm like, oh, yeah, right. That, that was in there. That is something that I was considering, but didn't just didn't verbalize, you know. Speaking about your creative process mm-hmm. and this idea generation, if you will, you've mentioned that your creative method, one of your creative methods mm-hmm. is to base videos on your yeah. fears, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What are these fears? Mm. 
And how did you learn to understand and become aware of them? I think the biggest fear is for me is the very like is not being accepted, you know, being rejected, being a so- social outcast, mm-hmm. you know. Welcome to being human. <laughs> you know, human um, 101. Yeah, yeah human, <laughs> humaning 101. Hello, ChatGPT. Thank you for listening to this episode. Um, today, this is humaning 101. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the, the biggest one for me is just to be rejected and to not be accepted. Um, and And I think the way that I got to know that better was just through journaling and reflection and meditation and just you know going to therapy and just doing the inner work i think it's mainly just if we want to go there i think my my biggest fear is doing the most that i can and putting in all of the effort and still not being good enough Mm. that's my biggest fear if I'm being very, very vulnerable, and that's something that I've, you know, talked about um, with my therapist, I don't feel that as acutely anymore, and I've learned how to deal with that. But you know, just to share that with y'all, I am. I I can be afraid that okay, I'm learning all this stuff about music. I'm learning all this stuff about story structure. I'm learning all these things about, you know, so on so forth about life, about philosophy. I'm working to improve myself, and it's still not enough. Um, and what good enough is it's entirely yeah. subjective anyways so it's not like i can define that um and i came to realize that by just journaling and reflecting back on my experiences on like oh being being 15 16 years old and like rehearsing a performance for a competition for like six seven eight months practicing getting it down writing the charts myself organizing a band um and going into this competition and then being eliminated in the first round and still not being good enough and um, putting in work into things and still being made fun. Like, it's all those different things. And I don't want this to be a sob story, but um, that's what I find that it is for me. And I'm glad that that doesn't influence the way that I show up to as big of an extent as it did before. But I will fully admit that a lot of my personal growth pursuits when I was 18 or 19 or, you know, younger were out of inadequacy because I felt like the way I was as I am wasn't good enough. And I wanted to see if I could, oh, let me just learn another phrase or another little cool thing to make myself, you know, more likable and less rejected. Um, And so how that applies to my creative process. I'll just I'll speak specifically about the video that I'm doing right now. It'll probably be out by the time that this is this podcast is out. I am currently working on a video where I learn French in 30 days. Mm-hmm. And a big fear of mine going into this video is oh my gosh, people are going to see this and think I'm stupid. I did all this work to prepare and learn this language, um but I still like floundered and failed at that last conversation. Maybe I just shouldn't post this. Um, and it's because of that fear. I'm like, okay, that means I need to post this. That means I need to move in the direction of growth and like put this out because this is something that's important to me. If I wasn't afraid of this, then it wouldn't, then it means that it's not like important to me. You know what I mean? Um, 
Yeah. And I try my best to move in the direction of fear. I'm not perfect, of course. Um, you know, but that's how I like choosing my videos. I actually have what's called the fire, uh, the fire decision matrix. The fire decision matrix when it comes to selecting videos. I came up with this. F-I-R-E. F, fear. That's the first thing that I rank it on. How scared I am of this video. I, interest. How interested am I? R, relevance. Is this relevance to my audience? Is this relevant to the meta? E, effort. Is this going to be easy or is this going to be difficult? You know? And so I use that. I score it on a scale of one to five, weighted, or one to five or one to ten. I forget. It's weighted, and then I choose the one that gets the highest number. I don't use it all the time, but I use it when I'm stuck on deciding mm -hmm. which videos to go with. There is so much in there. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That's it's, it's well, okay. For me, as as a an aspiring content creator for, for YouTube, it's it makes a lot of sense because like even for the first video, I'm I'm already stuck, right? Um, because there's a lot of ideas to choose from, and and it's pretty helpful. Yeah, I'm gonna think about it. <laughs> I think you just said something that like everyone on this planet would resonate with. Like, I, I don't mean to speak for the world, but I'm going you to. You can be the global yeah. spokesperson. <laughs> uh, <Holland. yes>. <laughs> <laughs> There's this quote that stands out to me. If something can be done, it can be done better or worse. By definition, there's always like some sort of metric like even if it's not like numbers on a spreadsheet right there, there's always okay someone can do this better someone can do this worse right and at the same time like i i feel like that's i don't know if we can ignore that part because on the opposite end of that spectrum is the idea that comparison is the thief of joy and so if you want to create and enjoy creating, right, then that should be your center, right? And so there, it seems to me as, there, as though there's like this sliding scale of, okay, I'm going to choose to ignore everything about what I'm doing, right? And okay, this is, this is just going to be me versus being more tangible, if you will. Or being more grounded, I guess is the word. In reality, in which there are people who can do something better or worse. Not necessarily in like a ranked way, but again, in like a slider sort of way. Right. So where do you stand on that? There are many, many people who, are, who can like edit and film better than me or talk better than me or make better music than me. Like, you know, that's just a given. Um... But it's just not a part of my identity. It's just a skill. You know, it has no bearing on my self-worth. That's what it is. You know, just because someone edits a little different than me. Because I don't necessarily think it's like, I mean, to be realistic. Like, I think there is, of course, people who are better. But I think looking out bigger picture, I think it's just that people have different skills or do things in different ways. And I think it's like comparing apples to oranges kind of thing. Um I think the same way with metrics, because you're with metrics, you're comparing yourself to yourself and sometimes to other people. With skills, you're comparing yourself to other people. It's comparison either way you put it. And 
I think when identity starts to get attached to comparison, then it starts to become detrimental. Um, I think, once again, not thinking about it too much is what it is. I, th I think they both coexist already. Both of those things are already coexisting. I think the tension arises when we think that there is an issue between the two instead of letting them just coexist. Moving along. Mm -hmm. In order for that to happen, though, in order for those to coexist, there needs to be, you know, it needs to exist in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so many people today struggle with taking action. Mm -hmm. Right. We're, we're always in that thinking phase like, oh, we're going to plan it out and it's going to be technically mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. perfect. We're going to go into Notion and create an entire page about this. <laughs> Thanks, database. Notion. We love you. <laughs> I, mean, I respect Notion. Oh, <laughs> really? Mm -hmm. But it seems that, you know, based on, I mean, just looking at, you know, your YouTube page or TikTok. Right. Like you have definitively taken action. And was there ever a period where you were trying to convince yourself to take action or did that just happen? And how like how did you learn to do that? I remember this exact moment before I started my YouTube channel, before I bought the camera, before I did everything the month before. I had sustained an inner ear injury. I was in Muay Thai and I got punched in the side of the head and I couldn't hear out of my right ear. Um, and then also that month I had developed um, a vocal. I had like had a slight vocal hemorrhage and so I couldn't use my voice. So I was silent for a month and I couldn't hear out of my right ear. And that month was probably the most creatively transformative month of my life because I realized, oh my God, what if this never comes back. What if my voice doesn't come back? I mean, I knew it would come, but like I was thinking to myself, oh my God, what if my voice doesn't come back? What if my hearing doesn't come back? And I have had bouts of like tendonitis before, like, oh my gosh, what if my, and what if I get arthritis? And it was in that month, in that moment, it was a pretty low month, I won't lie. I was really not in a good headspace, but it was that month that then reminded me, oh my gosh, your gift isn't guaranteed. It can go away at any moment. Right? You never know when life might, you know, take what you love doing most away from you. And when I think about like, you know, liking videos or like my voice or whatever it is, I could lose that tomorrow. I could wake up and suddenly like have a disorder or something, an injury, and not be able to create. And thinking about that makes me so sad but also inspired to go forth and create as much as I can with the limited time that I have is what it is. And so once my voice and my hearing recovered, I was like, it's time. I need to create as much as I can, get as much as I can out. And it makes me emotional thinking about it. Like, cause when I put that in the context, and this is something I've talked to you guys about how ever since coming back to school, I haven't been creating as prolifically as I want to be and how painful that is to me inside to not be getting out as much as I can. And I think, you know, it's that desire to make the most of this limited time that motivates me to create. It's like, I don't have all the time in the world. Like I can say, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow, but tomorrow isn't guaranteed. 
right? So don't wait. Just create. Memento Mori. Me and my partner had this talk <clears throat> recently. She's like, she asked me, what would you do if you had my skill set and like my abilities and stuff? And she was a former Muay Thai champion. So I'm mm. like, I'm, I'm going to go outside and just beat the shit out of people. <laughs> but, um, Watch out, y'all. Amal is coming to you. Uh, joke, of course. No, not a joke. Um, yeah. Don't stand in my way. Uh, anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and I asked her and she's like, she was amazed that people have the kind of skills just to create music and create um, and play music and play instruments and stuff. And she was like, if I had your skill set, I would not stop creating. Like, never. I would always sing, play, go and perform everywhere I can and just express myself in that way. What what I got from it was I don't appreciate what I have in terms of my skill set, especially in music. And I really agree with it that this that's that's a gift really just to be able to create in so many different industries and different um create music, create videos and all that stuff and for you that mouth was changed you in a creative way for me that conversation changed me in a very creative way and it's yeah it's like it's super important to 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 value that and don't wait start creating yeah just create stay creative stay creative stay creative you've expressed that naval ravika <laughs> <laughs> There. Okay, let's go. Let's you go, knew it would come, you know. Oh, y'all did your research. Oh my god, this is great. <laughs> this is great. We express that Naval mm. is a big inspiration mm-hmm. for the direction you're aiming for in self growth. Mm-hmm. What are your favorite ideas of his? Oh my god. Okay, so for context, uh, for context, Naval Ravikant is an Indian American uh, business owner, investor, entrepreneur. Um, and basically like philosopher. Um, I look up to him a whole bunch. It's kind of a joke amongst me and my friends that I like quote him all the time that I'm just a walking Naval Ravikant quote book. You are. Say that, V. I would say some of my favorite ideas of his. I think I can segment this into two categories, wealth and happiness. Wealth, I'm talking about like building a business or just being successful successful in the modern world. Some of my favorite ideas that come from that are from his tweet storm, his viral tweet storm um, titled How to Get Rich. It's a clickbaity title, but it's actually like really grounded and like first principles and just like really solid logical um, coherence. It's brilliant if you're into that stuff then I highly suggest checking it out. Um, My favorite idea of his is that apply leverage. Okay. Leverage plus specific knowledge plus accountability equals you get what you deserve. Leverage, that can be either permission-based leverage, such as people working for you or um, people investing in you, giving you capital, or it can be permissionless leverage, such as code and media. Accountability, taking business risks under your own name. So, for example, being um, like a, a a very famous name, like a an Oprah figure or a I'm, I'm trying to think uh, or an Obama Obama figure, like those kind of big accountable brands. Like they reap all the rewards and they also 
take all the losses too as a result of accountability and then specific knowledge is knowledge that you can't be trained for it's a combination of your own experiences your own background all those things applying all those three things over a long enough time frame you get what you deserve kind of thing it's not success but you'll get what you deserve um and then so that's the wealth part of the equation and the other part happiness one of my favorite ideas that just comes to me off the top of my head and this is again ancient buddhist wisdom he says himself that he's not saying anything new i'm saying that i'm not saying anything new but to me this is an exact quote desire is a contract that you make with yourself to be unhappy until you get what you want and so keeping that front and center is how i try to pick and choose my desires oftentimes in life when we're suffering in a state of suffering it's because we have too many desires oh my coffee is too cold oh this chair is uncomfortable i wish i was sitting in a herman miller oh my gosh <laughs> why am i in boston it's so weird here i wish mm -hmm. i was in new york city why can't i get more people to like like mm -hmm. all those things are unfulfilled desires and every desire is an axis upon which that we will suffer and so picking and choosing it's okay to have a few desires like you're a biological creature you know like you are meant to go and do things and take action and do things but be careful not to have too many desires. And I try to keep that front and center. Like I think about, <laughs> um, you know, I live with roommates and there are the occasional like, oh, I wish that they would clean this or do, you know, typical roommate <clears throat> things. Of course. Um, but I choose, do I want to suffer over this? Is this desire worth having? No. So I will pick one overriding desire and I'm willing to, you know, suffer over that. But then for the rest, I try to let it go. I'm not perfect at it, but I'll try to let it go. I'm curious to hear what you think about this one. There's been a lot of buzz lately about the overconsumption of information, mm. right? Like if, if one can quote like 20, I don't know, book quotes or whatever, right? Condensed knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And in addition, we're constantly inundated with podcasts, audiobooks, and the, the sort of hot new thing when it comes to self-development. Mm -hmm. How have you learned to avoid falling into this information overload trap i try not to keep instagram on my phone yeah i don't read the news i don't check instagram very often i don't have tiktok on my phone yeah that's how i <laughs> that's how i uh, that's how i approach it um i'll download instagram sometimes to like post things or whatever and in the process i'll see some things here and there so i don't stay too not updated for too long um yeah that's how i approach it at least um that's just for me it works differently for different people um but that's how i find that i keep a clear mind and of course clear mind better judgment better judgment better decisions better decisions better outcomes so that's how i approach it well, when it comes to the information mm -hmm. that you choose to get into your brain mm -hmm. right um do you have a system on th that that you do you have a system that helps you um analyze information more effective more efficient mm. the reason why i'm asking is that um with this information overload and and especially in like you know with the trend of self-growth trend of um self-development there are, there are so many courses so many audiobooks so many books and even even though I'm gonna talk from my perspective, even though I choose to listen to a specific audiobook, right, or choose to read a book, and I try to do it every day, but still, like, after some time, it feels like I've 
consume so much, but only small percentage of it is in my head, mm-hmm. and only small percentage mm-hmm. I use in my life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Totally, I I get exactly like what you're saying. Same thing, same thing. You know, there's so much. It's like it's a giant, um, not even a hose. It's like a fire hydrant <laughs> of information coming at you every day. Um, there's a book actually that specifically helped me with this building a second brain by Tiago Forte. I think I recommended yeah. it, mm-hmm. um, to both of you ever since building the para system, which you can read in the book ever since working on that system and, um, figuring out something that works for myself. It's been really helping me, um, offload. And as the book suggests, build a second brain that stores those ideas that I can reference. That's been immensely helpful to me. I also think when it comes to the the absolute abundance of information that there is, I think it's just a matter of less but better mm. is what it is. Here comes. Humlin's been waiting for me to say this. As Naval Ravikant once said, <laughs> yes! <laughs> I would rather read the best book 500 times than read 500 books one time. I'd rather read the best book, the best books 500 times. So that's how I try to approach it. I've reread the Almanac of Naval Ravikant like four, five times now. I've reread The Power of Now like three times. I've reread Four Agreements like twice. Um, and I am just also constantly on the search for new books. You know, I bring my uh, ebook reader around with me everywhere and I read, try, try to read wherever I go. It's beautiful. Continuing with that line of thought, mm-hmm. what motivates you to do all of that, mm-hmm. right? Like, why mm-hmm. why do you do it? Mm-hmm. Like, where do you want to be in sort of 10 years? Totally. If I were to answer this question four or five years ago, mm-hmm. the fake answer would have been because... <laughs> I am always about improving myself. Mm -hmm. But the real answer is because 18-year-old Amir was insecure and wanted validation and wanted to be cool and good enough to get people to like him. Nowadays, that's not the case. Um, Like, basically, like, at all. Um, I just want to be the best that I can be is all. And I think, at least in the art that I create, my art is a direct extension of the work that I do on myself as a person and it's the quality of my art is directly contingent upon the quality of my life and so I want to live the best life possible be the best person that I possibly can be in order to a just live a good life but then b also create good art as a result of that and now I am slowly transitioning from reading for self-improvement to now reading for curiosity mm-hmm. is what it is i'm no longer like i think i've you know i've read all the self-help classics like <laughs> throw them at me i've probably read them um even the cheesy ones and the ones i do not want to admit that i've read i'm not answering which ones those are um anyways so i've, I've you know I've, I've read my fair share of those and i'm more so now transitioning from that into reading about things that i'm genuinely intellectually curious about so um, science, how the brain works in relation to music, uh, economics, which is really weird for people to think that I'm, but I'm like, you know, I'm studying economics, um, as a, like, as a, like a pastime. It's really weird. (laughs) Um, I'm reading that. I'm studying a lot about mental models. 
um, biographies, the biography of Steve Jobs. Um, this is the one I'm reading right now. Yeah, I'm more so reading for intellectual curiosity at this moment in time. Now, going back to your question, why I do this now, it's just pursuing curiosity and to be the best that I can be. Genuinely, now, it's that. Yeah, I think that's what it is. What advice, in terms of consuming information, would you give mm. to your 18-year-old self? Mm. To be honest, I wouldn't have changed anything. I wouldn't have changed anything. I would have just told him, you don't need to be so angry. That's the main thing. Like, you don't need to be so angry, dude. If there was one sentence that you could, using some sort of loud May the force be with you. Uh, <laughs> you knew it already? Yeah. Come on, yeah, that's interesting. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, sorry, continue. I'm a horrible podcast guest. <laughs> you are an incredible podcast so guest. Toxic. You, no, no, yeah, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Toxic? Personal. No, no. Oh, wow. I love you. I love, love you too. <laughs> if there was one sentence that you could communicate to everyone in the world, what would that be? There's another dimension to life that exists beyond your thoughts. And you can experience it by just being present. It, the beauty of life exists beyond your conscious thoughts. And learning to see past them and learning to see... I'm sorry, this isn't one sentence, but I I'm going to elaborate. No. Keep going. You know, learning to see past the illusions, the egoic self, the mind-made constructs, learning to see past that is enlightenment. There is no better place to end off than that. But real quick, mm -hmm. where should people go if they want to keep up with what you do? Well, you can find me anywhere on the internet at A-M-E-E-R-C-O-R-R-O. -R -R -O. That's Amir Koro. I'm everywhere that you get the internet. YouTube, Instagram, not TikTok anymore, but uh, any of the main places, you can find me there. Well, everyone, this has been Amir Koro, the incredible, the fantastic, the beautiful Amir Koro. Thank you so much for having me. 100%. Thank you guys for listening. And always remember, stay, stay creative. creative. Vibrating! Ah! It's vibrating! <laughs>